It's episode 280 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, and producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm still in a Lovecraftian mood, so we're playing the song The Reef of Cthulhu. It's from the album The Reef of Cthulhu. It's from the band The Surf Zums. They're based out of Lottie, Finland. You can find them at thesurfzums.bandcamp.com. Surf Sums is spelled S-U-R-F-Z-U-M-S. They're also on Facebook. Go check them out. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. I'm in that Lovecraftian mood because we are having a continued conversation in this episode with author Peter Rollick. Now, Pete was on the show last week when he and I started talking about the movie The Creature Walks Among Us, the third film in the Creature from the Black Lagoon franchise. It's all new. The creature walks among us, more terrifying in human form. Striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. The creature walks among us. Horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us. The grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotions. Basmerl Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program. Man, I could talk creature all day long, but that's not the only thing that I could talk about. I could talk about these classic monster movies from dusk till dawn, like I'm fond of saying, quoting a favorite captain of mine, I could do this all day. And that's what happened when I chatted with Peter about this film. We ended up talking about Creature Walks Among Us, and then we started talking about a number of other topics involving classic monster movies. Some of them having to do with creatures, some of them not. And it was just a good time. I had a good time chatting with Peter. Now, Peter is the author behind books like The Weird Company and Reanimators. If you are into Lovecraft and you want to see some things done with some of these characters in a nice big Monster Mash comic book style matchup, well, these books are where you're going to want to go. Again, though, that'll be after you listen to part two of my conversation with Pete about The Creature Walks Among Us and a number of other Monster Kid-friendly topics. We're going to do that here in a second. Now, something else that we're starting to do here on the show is I'm playing a little game with you guys and gals. At the beginning of the show, I'm going to give you a quote from a movie. And then at the end, I'll tell you what it is. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the quote right now. The line, the quote from the film is, You do not know the extent of my appetite, Simon. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. Until they have felt, as I did, the kiss of fire on their soft, bare flesh. All of them. And that's all I'm going to give you. I'll tell you at the end of the episode what movie that came from. And here's a hint. The title of this movie does get mentioned in the conversation I had with Pete, which we're going to get to right after this. Meets his greatest foe, the Kong of Steel. A gargantuan 
Saskatchewan duel, unmatched by any battle in history. Thundering 60-foot robot Kong of Steel, creation of the evil Doctor Who, criminal genius who stops at nothing. Kong, once again, dig! against the copter squadron. A thousand thrills as King Kong battles the serpent of Mondo Island. Not this Kong! Hits himself against the nation's armament. And plunges a beautiful girl into a world of terror. King Kong in a duel to the death. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. There's a shaft of light coming up out of the ocean was being guarded by a, a sea creature. I believe this light killed three men. Into uncharted secret coves hidden beneath the sea's surface go the daredevil hunters of the deep, searching out the mystery of sudden death, the secrets of the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues, starring Kent Taylor, lovely Kathy Downs, and Michael Whalen, all enmeshed in a scientific web of terror involving secret death rays that unidentified nations will stop at nothing to obtain. Almost like it was burned by an atomic flash. Fisherman, too. Man bait, a luscious blonde too tantalizing for the weak to resist. 
I didn't know then they could put beauty and poison so cleverly together in one package. <laughs> but the shadow of the Phantom Death does not stop daring underwater adventures while a man of science probes the unknown for the answer to the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. Don't miss the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. Have you read the, um, Ramsey Campbell did some adaptions? Yeah. He did not preacher one, but. There was a pen name, like a house pen name for those, uh, yeah, Carl Dreadstone. Dreadstone. Yeah. Yes. But apparently that one deviates greatly. It does. It does. I've got it here and okay. I have read it. Now that one also, that one also deviates quite a bit. I have a couple of those, um, Carl Dreadstone books, but mm-hmm. I did not get the creature. So I have not had a chance to read it, but it, it's like the creature's like what? Three or four tons? Yeah, huge. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So let's just write a whole new story. Yeah. Uh, so this is fun. <laughs> I'm having a good time. So so I, I have to ask because every time Creature comes up in a conversation, this inevitably comes up. Universal's rebooting everything. Yeah, why? Okay, well, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I agree, but do you think they'll do the Creature justice? I think somebody could do the creature justice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who it is. There's a talk of Guillermo del Toro doing that. I hear that every once in a while. I hear that too. But then for years, I was also hearing Joe Dante doing it. And there's one yeah. point Carpenter was going to do it. And I don't know. Del Toro, I think, would have the respect as a monster kid to get into. Well, not that the other two wouldn't, but yeah. But for Del Toro, it's hit and miss. And I feel like he has a. Probably not intentionally, but an adversarial relationship with big budget movies, with the yeah. studios involved with those. There's a right. reason why he's not doing Pacific Rim 2 now. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate. I mean, the guy's one of us, clearly, but. The fine thing is that I think that you could look at Humanoids from the Deep <laughs> as the reboot of the creature from the Black Wow. Wow. They're coming. Humanoids from the Deep. A tidal wave of rampaging creatures surges from the dark and violent sea to conquer the earth. Maybe intelligent enough to perceive man as a competitor. Why the girls? It's my theory that these creatures are driven to mate with man now in order to further develop their incredible evolution. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna. It's, they're very similar. <laughs> uh-huh. They're both fishmen, they're both obsessed with, you know, women. Uh, <laughs> the humanoids from the deep are just a little, you know, more graphic about it. Just adding that back out. to my Netflix queue as we speak. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to wonder about, you know, how do you make a movie like that and decide to remake it just a few years later? <laughs> True. Yeah, they didn't really wait very long, did they? On that no. One. But then we we live in the age where Ghostbusters just got rebooted, and that's. To me, still feels like just came out a few years ago. Yeah, well, and I would say, look, I watched the Ghostbuster movies. I took my girls to see it. Mm-hmm. They loved it. I enjoyed it. I cried at one point. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Have you seen the movie? Not yet. Oh, um, okay. It's still still on my to watch list. Yeah, but. it's it's actually you know it wasn't bad. I don't think it's as good as the original, 
but I think it's good. Okay. I, I, th- I really enjoyed it. As a writer, I think that there would have been easy ways to incorporate this movie into the timeline. But Instead of just completely rebooting, just yeah. kind of make it the next yeah. story. Yeah. But that's not their choice. That's not their choice. I just think it's bad writing to have to have a, have a reboot rather than a sequel. Well, and then in the ads, remind everybody how much of a reboot it is. Yeah. That's my biggest issue so far. Having not seen the film, the advertising campaign's like, yeah, remember when we did it once, we're doing it again. It's like, well, just make it its own thing if you're going to make it its own thing. Yeah, well, here's the deal. 30 years ago, four guys saved the world from ghosts. Right. Well, you know what? 30 years ago, they did it, and they haven't had to do it again, and everyone's forgotten. And, you know, you could easily have, like, oh, the Ghostbusters Museum is, like, this tacky little side thing that people go to. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. And, you know, it's it's run by four women who really love the idea, but they haven't had to fight ghosts in 30 years. And then things really happen. And then the only people who really know how to use the equipment are the guys who've been maintaining it. But, you know, whatever. It would have been so easy to do something like that. You know, I'm a writer myself, and I'm friends with a lot of great writers. And the wonderful thing and the most frustrating thing about being friends with writers and being a writer myself is that we look at these movies and it's like, I could have written that so much differently, and that it ends up being even better in my head than what would have happened. Yes. It happens every time I talk to a writer on the show, either off mic or whatever. It just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, de- you develop what he- what head cannons, right? It's like right. This is how this would work. No. Uh-huh. And then like then Hollywood does it and it's like that's really cheap. That's mm-hmm. like the worst thing you could have done. I mean, it still works, but it's it didn't have to be that way. And I feel like well, with a lot of reboots, that's the problem. And to bring it back to your work, that's why I like the Weird Company so much is because you've made it all work. I've tried to make it all work. You made all the Lovecraft stuff work. You know, the Return of the Wolfman book I was talking about earlier. Right. He made that work. He brought them all together and even worked the creature into that mix. And even the Abbott and Costello films, he made it all work. Right. And that, to me, feels very satisfying. It's obvious from the work that I love the genre. And... Weird Company is this huge homage. And now that we've talked about Creature from the Black Lagoon like for an hour now, <laughs> I really want to go back and do a, you know, like a Innsmouth Creature from the Black Lagoon thing. Ooh. Yeah, the sad, but not the sad thing is, is it's been done a couple times. You know, it comes up. I was talking with uh, Reber Clark yes. at the Lovecraft Film Festival a few years ago. And yeah, that, that whole conversation happened. But you know, I still read it. I yeah. don't care. <laughs> I'd read three or four versions of it. Caitlin Kiernan did a great job with a story about the fossil um, Mm. and how Mm -hmm. the fossil was not found in the Amazon, but the fossil comes instead from Innsmouth. Okay. Oh, God. I just remembered. So there is a story, and I can't remember who wrote it, that's a King Kong Innsmouth story where New York City is not attacked by King Kong. Okay. But is attacked instead by Dagon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who is essentially pursuing the love of his life. Yeah. It's the sacrifice that got away. Oh, wow. Do you know the name of that story? I need to read this thing. I will find it. And I'll, I'll, I'll get it to you. Cause it's, Oh man, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And it's told from her point of view because she's now, she lives in Arizona uh-huh. <laughs> you know, as far as away from the ocean as she can possibly get. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I love that. The problem is I was reading that about the same time that the Zombie Kong anthology came out. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, 
it's all sort of mixed up in my head. This is why we write things down, right? Because right, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this is a really good idea. It will never fit in continuity, but it's a really good idea. Right? Yeah, you can do these little one-offs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Going back to the creature walks among us, yeah. I'm still stuck on the idea of Moreau. And the one movie we didn't touch about, it's not part of the canon, is She-Creature. Scene comes the experiences of a She-Creature. Brought to screen life by Chester Morris, Marla English, Kathy Downs, Lance Fuller, Tom Conway, Frida Innescourt, and Ron Randall. It's an adventure into the occult, such as few people have known, and only those who see it can believe. You're not going for that supernatural hokum of his. I don't really know what I'm going for. I know he's a killer. Now you are traveling back through time and space. Farther, farther back, back. Under his spell, she was both herself and another being. The she-creature seeking life sustenance from the stolen heartbeats of others. It's a rip-off. But it's got a great Paul Blaisdell design monster. Yeah. In the Creature from the Black Lagoon bathroom. There is, uh-huh. <laughs> the, there is the movie poster. There is a, a picture of the creature attacking one of the women. Signed by all three the two guys that played the creature and uh, the woman. I can't think of her name right now. It's going on in my head. Julie Adams? Yeah, Julie Adams. Thank you. Who's got, adorable. If you ever have a chance to meet her at a con, I highly recommend it. She's a sweetheart. She is. She's great. I've met her once. Oh, um, yeah. I, I've got the fossil hand. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I've got two little um, Funko creature from the Black Lagoons. And I got a, a Jill Thompson, who's an artist best known for like Little Death and from uh, Sandman. Neil Gaiman stuff. I was at, she was at uh, Miami Supercon, and there was just she had a print of a uh, portrait of the creature she had. She did, so I bought that and put that in there. We, that was just like three weeks ago, so that's like a new addition. But then I've got the she creature poster in there as well, <laughs> and the she creature is just a magnificent costume design. Oh, it's fantastic! It's absolutely stunning. The movie's okay. The creature design is great. And I think the scenes with the creature's design works. But where I'm going with this is that there's actually a remake of the She-Creature. It was like in the 90s, wasn't it? No, go further back. There's a a movie called Creature of Destruction. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because they went in the – a lot of those movies ended up getting remade for TV. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't – I don't think this is one I've seen. Yeah. So – You know, it it popped up on – I take that back. I just looked it up, and I'm looking at that monster design. I have seen that. It's a Larry Buchanan film. Yes. Who, okay, so Larry Buchanan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think, and I'm putting this together, Larry Buchanan also makes another movie years later, which stars one of the guys from the original Creature films. It's set in Texas, and the guy is experimenting on the local natives, which are all African-American. And trying to turn them into sea monsters. That uh, Curse of the Swamp Creature? Yes. And uh, John Agar's in that one, yeah. I believe. So who, who's in the second film? Yeah. So, you know, we talked earlier about the Moreau aspect. 
mm-hmm. of trying to turn the creature into something human. And here, the link is tenuous, but it, you know, here you've got this movie trying to do the reverse, trying to take humans and turn them into essentially the creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. And so when I'm doing this list of creature-inspired movies, I have to throw that in there and look at it and go, like, this is really freaky. And in in a lot of ways, it's it's mirrors another film that you know I'm growing to love is the alligator. Inside this strange, forbidding plantation, on the edge of the death-laden bios, there is a horror beyond belief. A scientist turns his cobalt rays on the revolting, scaly monarchs of the swamps to transform men into hideous, living gargoyles, whose faces must be forever hidden from human sight. You didn't have to hit him. Quicker, simplest way, Doctor. But these are people. You don't handle them like animals. Beverly Garland as the unwelcome visitor, haunted by the fear that the man she loves has become one of them. What are you doing? I'm not leaving here, Mrs. Hawthorne, until I get the answers to the questions that brought me here. What have you done with my husband? Lon Chaney as the hook-armed, hate-maddened Cajun. I'll kill you, alligator man! Just like I'd kill any four-legged gator! Suspense that will clutch you like quicksand. (coughs) Pulling you down into bottomless depths of suffocating horror. (coughs) I love that film. Lon Chaney Jr. Man. I'll get you, Alligator Man, just like the four-legged one. I love that. Yeah, because it's funny because the first half of that movie is nothing but noir mystery. Mm-hmm. It's pure noir mystery. Mm-hmm. And then she finds the, the plantation, and it turns into a horror sci-fi film. And even though you can see the zipper up the back, I love the look of the monster. Yes. I love the look of that. But no, you're right. Even the transition bit where he's on the table and everything, I mean, it's just... Moreau, I think, the, the idea of a Dr. Moreau, I think, had a huge influence, whether they recognize it or not, on a lot of these movies. Yes. A lot of these movies. And and I think that's important for, you know, the creature walks among us. Right. It's an interesting concept to be able to take an animal and raise it up to be a man. And the counterpoint to what's going on there is that there's a there's one scientist saying, you know, maybe this is not a good idea. And that's uh, that's Dr. Morgan, played by Rex Reason, who's got probably the most authoritative voice ever yeah. in these movies. I love him in these films. Both him and his brother. I mean, Rex Reason was what? King Kong Escapes. So, I mean, just the reasons are great. To, in my mind, that's that's the Jeff Goldblum character from Jurassic Park. So like, yeah, you spent all this time <laughs> figuring out how to do this, and you never thought, well, should I? Right. Very, very bizarre. And then, just as an aside, since I watched Revenge of the Creature... There's that this whole speech and section of, of Revenge of the Creature at the very beginning when they just get into the, the lake. The captain's name is Lucas, right? Yeah, he's the only character outside of the Gilman to actually appear in the first two. A lot of his words that he says is about everything remind me of Quint from Jaws. I was just waiting for him to say, you know, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> He's got that that whole attitude, and some of the language is just so paralleled. I would love to go back and and ask Spielberg. It's like, did you watch this? Have you seen this? I'm sure he did. His his status as a monster kid is legendary. So I'm sure he was aware, and that had to have been built into that. Although Robert Shaw brought a lot of his own to to Quinn, but still, there had to have been something. Yeah. 
it, the language and, and this whole the whole way this guy acts is like I've been there. You know, you should be afraid. Well, and it's this blue collar guy, yeah. you know, who, who runs about telling the scientists really the smartest thing anybody can tell these guys in this movie: don't do this. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting kind of uh, contradiction. And, you know, there's a guy who looks like he probably hasn't charred in a long time, only wears maybe like two or three pairs of clothes, and, you know, th- th- whatever. He owns a boat, and that's it. Yeah. And he's telling the smart scientist guys the smartest thing in the movie. Yeah. The, the other thing is that there's no shower on that boat. Right. There's no washing machine either. But after, you know, weeks on the water, everybody still looks perfect. Well, and that's the thing about the first film, too, is is I've heard people making a drinking game out of how many times Julie Adams changes costume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, on the first film, it's somebody even says it. We're not equipped for this. We were going to be collecting fossils. Mm-hmm. And they're really not. And any no. good, good scientist would have said, you know, we're not equipped for this. We should leave now. If you're just collecting fossils, why do you have, you know, like, Gallons and gallons of rote known. Right. It's like, who thought that was going to work? Who needed to bring that along? Yeah. yeah. It is, why, yeah. why did they think, hmm, this is a science thing. Let's bring all the, yeah, no. No, it's, and it's, it's, it's not a little amount. You no, know? they have a lot. It's a lot. You know? Now, the second expedition, okay, you're, you're going out there to collect the creature. You bring right. barrels of with problems. intention. You're ready to go. Right. But the first expedition, you, what you're really looking for is like, you you want to go through tons of rock and mud looking for fossils. So you need like a giant pump and sieves to look for stuff. Well, none of that stuff appears. <laughs> yeah, they, they have that one tray. The very in, when they first get there, they're going through the rocks and all that. Right. But you know, in that film, you know, Mark, the scientist who wants to be a big game hunter, right, clearly is stir crazy during all this. It's like let's go hunt it. <laughs> let's go get this I thing. Kill something, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that they didn't have all that opportunity on the, the uh, trip upriver. Right. Because he should have been killing alligators and fish the whole way up. But Just just to get it out of the system. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's sort of like, oh, it's, it's a Hollywood version of a, a scientific expedition. But Sure. Anyway. You mentioned something while we were talking here. Uh, you have a background in, in aquatic study. By, did you say aquabiology? Uh, yeah, I have a degree in marine biology and aquaculture. What is it about monsters and, and the underwater beasts that are so much more scary than the terrestrial monsters? I mean, I, I I don't know what it is for me anyway, but it seems like the scarier monsters come from the deep. Yeah, well, okay, so I saw the greatest Lovecraftian film ever Okay. about, I would say, a year ago. And it's live footage. It's not fake. There's no CGI. There's oh. nothing. Okay. It is a guy in his kayak sitting on the water uh, on the Pacific Northwest, and there's all these birds on the water surface, and it's just in this idyllic day. Okay. Everything's calm. There's sailboats in the background. Everything's going, and he's just filming. And all of a sudden, all the birds just leave. They scream and they leave. Okay. And then all these fish break the surface. Oh. And then. Just as the fish break the surface and they've agitated all the water, this whale comes up and just swallows them completely and then just disappears right back into the water. Okay. And to me, this is a metaphor for Lovecraftian film. You have had something completely unexpected intrude 
into your idyllic perfect universe and then destroy something and then just vanish again. So you want to know why weird creatures, the, the best weird monsters come from the ocean? It's because we can't see it coming. Okay. We don't. We pretty much operate in two dimensions. But everything in the ocean has to operate in three. That's really hard for us to deal with from, from the get-go. We are walking down the street. You really don't expect to be hit on the head by a bird. Birds operate in three dimensions. We don't. You're only worried about what's in front of you, beside you, left, right, forward, backwards. We pretty much ignore what's above us. And we ignore what's below us. That's what made uh, uh, movies like Tremors so cool as well. When you are attacked by something from a direction you're not really expecting. You know, I think to some of the uh, scarier moments in some of these other movies that aren't like, you know, in the ocean or whatever, but I mean, one of the scariest movies or moments in Aliens is the the aliens are on top of you and they're not looking up. Right. Or you know, they're operating in that in the in one plane. They're right. not thinking of I mean, we are below. as people we are so focused on the like you said the two dimensions here, the left, right, forward, back. We even impose that on on pieces of literature or storytelling that should take into consideration the three dimensions. Right. You look at all the Star Trek series, all the ships are always on the same plane. Right, right. And right. really they they don't have to. They shouldn't probably. I think Huh. Yes. So we are so focused on that. I want, yeah, no, that's a really good way, really good point. You know, the, the funny thing is that I can remember reading, I, I think it was fan fiction or, or fan design that said that the Enterprise D had backup navigators that were dolphins. <laughs> that on Picard's Enterprise, somewhere <laughs> on the command deck was a tank where the dolphins were actually helping navigate. Just to kind of keep everything on the set. Yeah, because, you know, really, you know, it's hard to train a, a human being to think in multiple directions. Right. The fighter pilots are few and far between. Now, I think that we've, we're we accomplishing more because we're raising kids who are piloting airplanes and video games that are being trained from that young age to think that way. But for most people, it's not happening. Okay. We don't expect attacks from underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, the creatures underwater are just freaky looking. <laughs> this is true. You can go from squid and clams to blobs of jelly to sea snakes and crustaceans. You take a crab and you blow it up and it's terrifying. Uh, shrimp are the same way. Goblin sharks terrify me. Sharks. Oh, my son and I were just talking about that last night. Goblin sharks are, are horrendously frightening. Yes. Um, if listeners don't know what a goblin shark is. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah. And I, th- uh, <laughs> I think there's actually a movie about where goblin sharks are the villains. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Not much of a stretch. No. Um, no. They're yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And you don't even have to go into the deep ocean. Like, there's snakeheads, which are fish. There's oh, been, okay. been a couple movies about them. Because they're just terrifying as well. Just horrifically looking things with lots of teeth. And, you know, it goes back to Jaws. It's like all these animals do is eat and make little baby sharks. And that, from our perspective, is, is very frightening. You can't cuddle up to a shark. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Bad idea. Yeah. You know? 
you know, it, you know, you can make a case for, oh, look, the bear isn't that nice. He's nice and cuddly and I can, you know, or like you see people cuddle up with lions and tigers and whatnot. Okay, great. There's just no cuddling up with, you know, a giant eight foot shrimp. <laughs> no. Or, you know, a, a squid that's walking across the, the park ready to eat you. Right. It just doesn't work. It's the biology is just so alien to us. I mean, at least with a with a lion or a bear, I mean, they're mammals, so I mean, there right. might be that. But yeah, no, I and I just while you were talking, I looked up snakeheads on the internet, and I probably shouldn't have, um, <laughs> because uh, they're those look they look like nasty little buggers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I guess they're like invasive in like Maryland and places like that. So oh, good, stay out of Maryland. Yeah, noted. All right. <laughs> yeah, snakeheads, nasty. But yeah, so yeah, you look at, you know, you got these things that come out of the water with spines and teeth and eyes on stalks and multiple legs. And I, I think there are so many excellent films involving, you know, monsters from the deep. You know, some of them might have some pretty poorly designed suits, but they're still a ton of fun. Just by putting them underwater, they become more frightening to oh, me yeah. for some reason or other. Um, and you mentioned she creature. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this because every time it comes up, I, I I feel like I have to mention the movie, The Ghost of Drag Strip Hollow. Oh God, really? Have I'm, you seen that? Yes. Why would you torture yourself? Like, because she creatures in it, uh, sort of. Sort of. Yes. They, they took the breasts off, but he's yeah. in it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. And he's played by Paul Blaisdell. He actually appears on screen. We take the mat. Yeah, I don't want to. Re- yeah, I get it. Yeah. He's the goingest ghost you've ever met. This ghost of Dragstrip Hollow. He's got the hot riders vavoomin and the hepcats zoomin. She your chick? Well, I'd like to think so. You know, she prefers hot rods instead of hot romances. That's because it's easier to handle cars. <laughs> this chick does all right with romance, too. But nothing stops this pirate's bird who learned his tricks from the ghost of Dragstrip Hollow. <laughs> Anybody want to kiss a duck? It's a perfectly rational explanation for all this. <laughs> See, th- this is uh, the problem uh, that I run into when having either new people on the show or old friends on the show is we end up talking about the topic at hand. In this case, Creature Walks Among Us. And then because we have so many other similar interests outside of that, yeah, you get a couple of monster kids who happen to write and have an invest- a vested interest in creativity and creating things and you know, propelling things like this. The conversation just goes all over the place. I hope the listeners haven't tuned out because I've had a blast. Well, I've really enjoyed myself. Good, so. good. Well, we'll have you back on the show down the line. I know you're a fan of August Derleth. Well, yes and no. Sort of. <laughs> I, you're saying this because I wrote this chronology, right? Well, and I've heard you on the Lovecraft Easy okay. podcast. Yeah, I think Derleth gets a bad rap. Let's put it this way: I think Derleth did what we're doing. A lot of people do now. He rebooted the mythos, right? And in doing so, he added his own perspectives in there. Mm-hmm. Whether right or wrong, okay, it's his version. You know, I don't particularly like J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. But it's a version. I'm sure I'll enjoy the movie, but it's not Star Trek. Right. 
and I think Derelith had some great stories. I think he had some mediocre stories, but they weren't always Lovecraft. And that's okay. You can still enjoy it without having it be canon or perfect. And I borrowed liberally in Reanimators some of Derelith's stories. I really like the idea of bringing in Dr. Cherrier from uh, The Survivor. Mm, okay. As another reanimator, he was just experimenting on himself, how to keep himself alive. You know, he's the complete opposite of Dr. Munoz from Cool Air. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, here's a guy who's trying to keep himself alive by keeping cold, and Sherry Air is trying to keep himself alive by being hot and, and being a reptile. Completely different directions. Well, the reason I brought up Daryl is that I've been looking for somebody to discuss the shuttered room with on the show, the okay. movie from 1967. I don't know if you're a fan or not, but... Uh, that's it's funny because it has almost nothing to do with Derelict's book. I know, but yeah, none, none of those quote unquote Lovecraft adaptations from this time period really had anything to no, do with no. with the source material. So much so that they said one of them was actually Edgar Allan Poe. So right, exactly. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Shuttered Room is fun because you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's more like a an Edwardian horror novel, yeah. The Turn of the Screw, or something like that, with Oliver Reed. Yes, with Oliver Reed. Who always makes things better, I think. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's just a really scary guy, by the way. You know, I saw yeah. him, I watched him again in Burnt Offerings recently. Mm-hmm. That was just to watch him act out in that. It was just freaky. But yeah, yeah he's pretty good in The Shuttered Room, which to me, the, the Shuttered Room, the, the Derelict story, is a sort of fusion of the Dunwich horror with the Shadow of Rinsmith. Right. And there's, there's, Almost a, a whiff of that in the film. Almost. Almost. Oh, yeah. It's a red herring. Yes, that's true. That's true. Which is kind of sad. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to redo that film and, and throw in the actual plot. <laughs> See, and here it is again. How can we make this movie better? This is how I would have written it. Yep. Yeah, there you, go again. <laughs> well, you had the source material. You paid for the source material. Right. Why did you not use the source material? You could have just used the source material, yeah. Well, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back on to talk about the film. And, and even the short story. We'll talk about the story, too. All right. Cool. It'll be a I'd blast. have to we'll dig it out of the closet someplace. Or, or there, there you go. There we Yeah. Uh, I think sounds I good to me. I think I do. Anyway, not that it matters to the, the listeners. Right. But <laughs> we'll, if, we'll if find it. We'll make it happen. me a copy of The Shuttered Room. My address? No, just kidding. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, do you have a website somewhere people can get a hold of you, or is the best place to follow your work your Amazon author page? Or? So my family has recently told me that my Amazon author page is woefully out of date. Oh, is it? Okay. I'm still talking about reanimators uh, <laughs> and nothing else on that page. But, you know, Facebook, you know, I'm really open right now, and I, I plan to be that way for a long time until it just becomes if, – if and when it becomes insane – but yeah, Facebook me, Pete Rollick. There's two of us on Facebook. I'm the older one. Don't Facebook friend my son because he'll just laugh at you. <laughs> he's a lot crueler than I am. Um, <laughs> okay. Noted. Yeah. That's my opinion of my teenage son. But yeah, friend me. And uh, I ramble on a lot like I do today. You'll catch pictures of me fishing and talking about new projects when I can. And uh, hopefully, you know, Plugging Reanimatrix hard in the next couple months. Right, and that's coming up the first week of October, which I think coincides with the same weekend as the Lovecraft Film Festival, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I'm trying to get some copies. Was that intentional? It's serendipity. There you go. 
October is a good month for horror books to come out. Mm-hmm. The book supposedly releases October 4th, and the film festival is like October 7th. I think so, yeah. If everything works out, I'll have copies there. Maybe not a lot, but enough. Well, we'll definitely have you back on the show. You know, and if nothing else, I'm always running around the Lovecraft Film Festival with my recorder. All so right. So I'll, I'll, I'll ambush you there, I'm sure. Let's plan and on chat. And Maybe we'll be on a panel together. I'm yep. not sure what's going on with that yet. So, so waiting for any kind of announcements uh, about who else is going to be there as a right. guest. I know you and me and a few other people, but right. anyway, yes. All right. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a great time. You can look up Pete Rollick or Peter Rollick on Amazon. This is how you're going to find his books listed there. Rollick is spelled R-A-W-L-I-K. You can also find him on Facebook. You also are going to find him in a number of really cool Lovecraft anthologies, like one of my favorites that came out in 2015, Atomic Age Cthulhu Tales of Mythos Terror, set in the 1950s. It was a cool book, a cool collection. It's 1950s. It's the classic era of monster movies, mixing it with Lovecraft. I can't get enough, just like I can't get enough creature. And Pete, I loved having you on the show. Thank you so much for being part of Monster Kid Radio. And yeah, we'll definitely have you on down the line. I really do want to talk about the shuttered room and anything else that happens to come up. some doors that should never be opened. One of them is the door to the shuttered room. I wouldn't take her into that old house, mister. Lesson you want her to end up like this. The terror begins on the road to the house with the shuttered room. There's no hope for Susanna if she spends even one night in that house. Why, um, detect a threat there somewhere? Did you feel it? Feel what? When you opened that door, it was like I was standing in front of a refrigerator. The terror is a touch. A sound. A sense of someone watching that stains two people with the secret of what lies in the shuttered room and beyond. Please, let me go. I have to see my husband. What's wrong with staying right here and passing the time of day with me? Hey, Chief. That sure is a lovely wife you got there. And, you know, I hear tell, she's just as pretty all over. You wouldn't happen to know what your wife's doing right now, would you? Hey, maybe Ethan knows what this guy's wife's doing. Maybe this guy's wife knows what Ethan is doing. Because maybe they're doing the same thing together. Wait a minute. Let me help you. One night in the house with the shuttered room. And you may never want to sleep again.
Summer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you for listening, for being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience, for downloading the show through iTunes or streaming it through Stitcher or however you listen to the show. Thank you. If you are an iTunes user, we'd like to ask you to give us a review in the iTunes store. It'd be kind of cool if we can get up to 100 reviews by Halloween. Last time I checked, we had 70 reviews in the iTunes store. Can we hit 30 more in the next couple of months? Well, maybe. Also, Facebook users, thank you so much for liking our Facebook page over at facebook.com slash monsterkidradio. As of right now, we have 936 likes. As you know, we're trying to get to 1,000 likes by the end of the year. So close. 64 likes away. If you're a Facebook user, you know what to do. Also, if you're a Facebook user, you can join the Monster Kid Radio group where you can have conversations with other listeners of Monster Kid Radio between episodes or even while you listen. Now, of course, there are links to all of this over on our website at monsterkidradio.net. You're also going to find our contact information here. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We also have a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show financially. When you head over there, you're going to see a little video. Sounds a little something like this. Thank you for visiting the Monster Kid Radio Patreon page. Since 2013, Monster Kid Radio has been covering the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, and I've been having a blast doing it. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'm the writer, producer, and host of the show, which will always be free to download. However, there are always some production costs involved, hosting equipment, making upgrades, making special things happen, and that's where the Patreon campaign comes into play. You can help support the podcast from anywhere from $0.35 cents to $10 a month. If you check out patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, you can see the breakdown and see how you're helping Monster Kid Radio, see which milestones we're hitting, and see what kind of rewards you can get for yourself by supporting Monster Kid Radio here on Patreon. Like I said, Monster Kid Radio will always 
be free to download. We're never going to ask you to pay for a regular episode of the show. However, some of the rewards you can get for supporting Monster Kid Radio range from having your name read during an executive producer roll call segment of the show, special thanks on the website, or even ending up on the Monster Kid Radio mailing list, where every other month you're going to get something from Monster Kid Radio headquarters. Might be a postcard, might be an envelope stuffed with some things I picked up at a recent convention. Whatever it is, it's going to be Monster Kid Radio related. Another reward you can get is bonus content. Now, like I said, the podcast itself will always be free. I'm never going to charge for the regular episodes. However, if you support Monster Kid Radio at the hammer level or higher once a month, you're going to get some bonus audio content. Might be some behind-the-scenes material, might be something produced specifically for Patreon, or it might be some things that hit the cutting room floor from a regular episode of Monster Kid Radio. However you choose to support Monster Kid Radio, whether it's just giving us a review in the iTunes store, retweeting the tweets, sharing Facebook posts, letting people know about the podcast, or contributing to our Patreon at any level, thank you from the bottom of my monster-loving heart. Monster Kid Radio is the home of classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, and we wouldn't have any of the success that we've had in the past without you. And I can't wait to see what successes we're going to have in the future with your support. Oh, and that movie quote from the very beginning of the episode, I'm going to read it to you again. You do not know the extent of my appetite, Simon. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. That line is from the 1963 film The Haunted Palace, starring our man, Vincent Price, directed by Roger Corman. You are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. The Haunted Palace. You, who find a kind of macabre joyousness in the horrifying, will enjoy yourselves as in ecstasy in The Haunted Palace. Starring Vincent Price, a being who lived and died and lives again. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. And intriguing Deborah Paget, whose appealing beauty inflames the blood of the bloodless. Charles, please. I... Well, I've been very busy, but I'm back now. Charles. Charles. We no. have the whole no. night his violent, torturous passions inflict both pain and terror. It's a good film. Check it out if you haven't already seen it. Once again, thanks for listening to Monster Kid Radio. We're going to be back next week with some more content. Although, at this point, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't have a topic lined up. I don't have a guest lined up. But between now and then, I promise to have something put together for you. Just stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net for the next episode. Until then, remember that all original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song The Reef of Cthulhu. It comes from the album of the same name from the band The Surf Zums. They're based out of Lottie, Finland. You can check them out either on Bandcamp or on Facebook. This particular album, The Reef of Cthulhu, eight tracks, name your price. Go over there, download it, check them out, support them because they support Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.